Welcome to That's Darn Good. I'm Janelle Ball, and I'm excited to bring you thought-provoking conversations about biologics, specialty medications, treatments, and so much more. I'll be chatting with some amazing guests about access, affordability, and advocacy. You're really going to enjoy this show. This episode is sponsored by BC Educators. BC Educators offers in-office training and virtual bio coordinators to create a single point of contact for everything from prior authorizations to prescription acquisition and patient follow-up. To ensure your patients have the access to the medications they need, hire the right team to simplify your dermatology office processes. Visit bceducators.com. That's B-C-E-D-U-C-A-T-O-R-S.com. Patient access is our priority. My guest today is Julia Reagan, CEO and founder of RX Lightning. Welcome to That Storm Good, Julia. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you about RX Lightning, number one. I feel like there's been so much buzz in the media and there's just so much going on, you know, with you and your company. Okay, so RX Lightning is a platform to or help offices streamline the process for specialty medications or is it just all medications? Uh, It's really focused on specialty medications. Like I look at the world and I think there's some of the buzz is people could easily get behind our mission because we want to help get patients affordable access to their care as quickly as possible. And traditionally when access challenges happen, Mm -hmm. it's on the more complex specialty meds that are there. So uh, it supports today about 1600 medications. So it's true specialty that's pharmacy Mm -hmm. benefit side, medical benefit side, dual eligible. There's some specialty light medications that are being added because as our provider platform is being adopted by some of the larger health systems in the nation, um, they have challenges with the more specialty light meds as well that we've ventured into it. Wow. So what other specialties are you in? Because I know you're in dermatology. Yeah. So it's really all of them. It's oncology is is probably a really large one. We've got all the GI, RA, derm, allergy, immunology, but we have everything from that all the way through Mm -hmm. like transplant medications and rare disease. So I think it supports about 25, 30 different disease states and pretty much every specialty has at least one specialty medication. It's just which yeah. ones are more prevalent. Obviously, derm has a ton of the biologics, so it becomes mm-hmm. more important for those disease states. Right. So how did this even come about? I mean, your background is in pharma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So pharma and technology cr- colliding with just some personal experiences. I think mm-hmm. when you look at it, like I carried a bag in diabetes sales years and years and years ago, Novo Nordis had a rare disease division with their growth hormone and their bleeding disorder departments and their biopharma. So was exposed there and then got into technology because I was fascinated by what EHRs and e-prescribing could do for the industry. (laughs) And then from that point, I really started working around the access journey. So what's this cost, the PA components, and uh, really built those some of those technologies with the leading PBMs and the leading PA vendors in the industry. So really knew the journey in and out from the pharma perspective, as well Mm. as the technology payer side. And then just had some personal experiences like everyone, which is why our, our mission is around for the one. We talk about, a lot about it. Everyone knows somebody that's had a challenge getting a medicine 
And Mm -hmm. for me, I'm the type of person that's like really animated and passionate. So it's extremely frustrating that like I could order my pizza and know where it is and when it's going to come to the house. But when we're talking about medications that are treating diseases that are chronic, that have Mm -hmm. challenges to it, like with dermatology, I have a friend and her daughter, it took her six months to get on a medicine. And meanwhile, she's got issues that are covering like 70% of her body. Like that's just, just uncomfortable. Like, so Mm -hmm. the fact that not only does it take so long, but there's no visibility into what's happening for anyone. And you feel like helpless. That's the Mm -hmm. vision of Arcs Lightning and the reason we started it. How, how do we make it more efficient for offices? but also engage and connect everybody together. So there could really be transparency in what's happening. Right. That is definitely something that is just across the board where it's difficult to get access. And, you know, I think there's so many offices that just don't have the manpower to focus on getting these medications because there's so many steps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. There's so many different organizations out there to help. And Mm -hmm. really, it's dependent on the provider, what type of programs they want to engage in. If there's some offices that want to have the advocates in their office and working through the access affordability journey on their own. And then there's some offices that want to delegate that, whether it's to a specialty pharmacy for help because they don't have the bandwidth or a manufacturer hub organization because they don't have the bandwidth to do it. But when you delegate, if you're using paper and fax, it's inefficient. There's tons Mm -hmm. of calls that come back. And then you're also having to field phone calls from the patient and the hub or the pharmacy for more information. And it sometimes doesn't become an alleviation for the staff. It becomes more of a burden. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's the, do we use it or don't we use it type of program? Right. So with RX Lightning, is this office facing platform or is it also patient facing? Both. We really focus on starting everything with the provider. A big component of the provider experience though becomes patients need to consent into everything because of HIPAA. So with that, our technology could help engage patient consent and signatures digitally if they're not in the office, which makes that more efficient for them. There are programs then when we work with different stakeholders like the manufacturers that if they choose to engage and connect the patient and office together more, we could do that and support that. Right. I mean, as far as the technology side, I mean, I have zero experience when it comes to technology. I mean, you know, we think about our phones and how difficult those can be to manage sometimes. How does technology improve the enrollment experience from start to finish? Yeah, well, I think everyone in the office, if they've seen an enrollment form, probably has some choice words that all the information that needs to be filled out. And the organization and structure of that information is not always in a very simple, easy to fill out way. So as a result, that there's missing information and it's not intentional by anyone, but it could be missing from the office mismarked something or a patient missed something that the patient needed to fill out. So in a digital experience, you're going to remove the opportunity for missing information because of required fields, not being able to submit it until that's Mm -hmm. complete. Uh, So that's one. I think the other one is if anyone's been to a manufacturer website because of all the legalese and the compliance that needs to happen, mm-hmm. you could be looking for one of those forms for 
hours and still not find it and mm-hmm. go in circles and the, the frustration of that and forms change. So if you print it out, it might not be updated. Technology alleviates all of that. It's a couple clicks of the button and you're at the right form, able to know what you need to complete, able to call the patient if they're not in the office and say, hey, do you want to text or an email to sign this? Because this Mm -hmm. is why you need to fill this out. And it's just much quicker and more efficient. So that's the upfront piece. And then the Mm -hmm. secondary benefit is the downstream piece. So you send it off and now you've done, you've filled out paper and faxed it in. So the only way to communicate is now through fax or phone calls off of that, which is inefficient. So if you as the advocate just wanted to see that, oh, they received it, or, oh, they are working on the BV or the PA or the free drug or or whatever component that is, you're going to have to call mm-hmm. or engage with that, which is just time on the phone. And that adds up when you're dealing with hundreds of patients a week or a month. So digital technologies bring the ability to see status and then gives you an opportunity to engage in patients that you need to take action on versus just like passively updating and checking on like, oh, it's moving. This is good. The patient's in a good spot. They're going to get their med versus, Mm -hmm. hey, the patient's not going to get this. I need to take action and make a phone call. Right. So it's the portal. And so it just automatically updates you as to the next step. Yes and no. Um, So our platform is a standalone platform. It's free to providers. They could go out and register for it. We do have some verification processes on it. We do need to make sure that there are offices and not just me using it because I want to use it. We do integrate it into different technologies as well. So we have EHR integrations and we embed it within some health systems tools. There's kind of a hybrid between the two. So some organizations can't expedite the integration into their EHR, even though that would be ideal. So we have the ability Mm -hmm. to load like patient rosters and physician rosters and get information into the portal to make it a little bit more intelligent for the staff. So it's not starting from the ground. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we don't really dictate how offices use it. So if an office wants to go in and use the hub, they, they make the choice around completing the hub form. If they want to go in and send it to a pharmacy, they go, go in and pick the pharmacy. If they want to go in and find out what it costs and what pharmacy it should go to and then do the PA and then send it out, they could do that in the experience. So we've tried to make it more that it fits the office's lifestyle and we're not Mm -hmm. changing the office's processes and decision-making power just because who wants to be dictated by a technology company on what's best for a patient. Um, tried to make it more, you know, what's best for the patient and where you want to send it. We're just enabling you to do it digitally. And then as a result, it's become a CRM tool. So we really are replacing the Excels and the SharePoints and the post-it notes Mm. around what's happening. So they could see all their patients in one spot and manage it and take notes on the patient and do whatever Mm -hmm. else they would like there. You said that it integrates with other technologies. So like the EMR system. So instead of having to go back and forth, some of that stuff will automatically just pull over. Yeah. And the EHRs and the prescribing systems don't Mm -hmm. like it takes time to do that. So we've been working on those integrations um, and, you know, hopefully one day it will be fully digital and fully interoperable with the EHRs. But I think we're still a little bit away from that. Even PA, like if you look at some Mm -hmm. of the organizations out that have been doing it 10, 12 Mm -hmm. years are still not there. So 
you know, right. it's, it's a work in progress. You know, and it's always changing too, like insurance requirements and, you know, what they're allowing to use. I've seen some plans that are not even allowing platforms like cover my meds to be able to submit the prior authorization. So how do you handle disruptions like that from insurance company? I mean, is it an issue? Yeah, it is. So anything with real-time digital intakes, it Mm -hmm. becomes an issue. So either the payer is going to support it or the payer is not going to support it. Um, We have true like EPA on our platform. We don't Mm -hmm. support the paper PA processes on our platform today, just because that's not part of what we're doing because other platforms like Cover My Meds, et cetera, exist and are adopted and used. What we really do without when the gap exists though, is allow the notes to be taken. So mm-hmm. it's for that CRM tool. So if you wanted to create a note in the system to say, hey, follow up on this I did this on this date. I need to follow up on this date and create that notification to get it digitally in one like right. work queue versus like handwriting it. That's where we're kind of looking at it. It's the problem with the, these meds is there's so many people involved. In order to solve it collectively, you need everyone to come together and work together to solve it. I fundamentally do not think one organization is going to solve the process, which Mm -hmm. is why we've made our platform very configurable, very interoperable, very much want to partner with other organizations together. Because Mm -hmm. I think when I put myself in the patient's shoes and a caregiver's shoes, it's the collective group working together saying like, Hey, we're going to solve this in incremental pieces and anything is better than what we're doing. So we need to tackle it one by one by one, and then just keep improving. Right. Yeah. And that's so true. I mean, when you think about a lot of offices, I mean, there's even still a lot of offices that are paper charts, but offices that just don't really have a process or understand why a process is needed, you know, when they're worried because I can't get any patients on medication or it's taking, you know, four, six weeks at a time to be able to figure out if the patient's even approved or not, you know, and it it shouldn't take that long. But I think a lot of it is just helping offices understand that there's support out there, there's resources, there's platforms. And it's just, it really goes into educating. And, you know, I feel like it's important to have at least one person kind of focused on the specialty medications, because there's so many, there's so many new ones coming out. And, you know, the processes for all of them are all different, right? Where they can be. (laughs) That's what I always say, like, if, if it's bad now, How's Mm -hmm. it going to be when the next wave of medications come out? And when you look at everything that's sitting at the FDA for approval, it's all the Mm -hmm. biologics, it's the cell gene therapies, it's the rare disease meds, it's the nuclear medicine, it's the next generation form of meds Mm -hmm. that the industry hasn't necessarily been prepared for, which means if the industry is not prepared for them, if the payers aren't prepared for them, if the pharmacies aren't prepared for them, there's going to be more complexity to getting access to them, Mm -hmm. which we need as an industry to really adopt something that could help navigate these because it's just going to get worse. Right. I mean, how do we educate too, in that sense, you know, with, with the changes, with all the insurance changes and just the requirements. I mean, how are we able to advocate and let these companies know that we've got to be able to figure out a better way to get access? 
Yeah, well, I think on the provider side, which is the organizations that are have the burden of doing it, you think about it, there's not been anything standardized or anything really uniting them together to have a voice. There's mm-hmm. a lot of fragmentation there. There's fragmentation in the whole industry, but payer side, you've got very large organizations that are putting strides together collectively. I think the provider advocate group that's doing it because it's not the leadership at the organizations. It's not the mm-hmm. doctor. Like there's a team of your nurse navigators, your patient advocates, your med access coordinators. There's lots of different names for them. They're the people mm-hmm. on the ground that are the ones that understand the problem. Sometimes if you go too high up in an organization, they're like, I don't know what you're talking about, but you get <laughs> to the right person and they're like, Yes, this mm-hmm. is completely inefficient. There's a huge workload burden. There's a ton of stress. I want to help. There's always that level of, I want to help my patients because I'm doing this because I love my patients. Mm-hmm. But there's the burden aspect and the almost like I'm hitting a wall. I don't know how to do it. That group needs to network and band together and build together and mm-hmm. advocate together for change and mm-hmm. you know the adoption of new rules, new technologies, et cetera. And I think that there's lots of organizations that are starting to form over the last mm-hmm. two to three years that are really uniting the patient advocates together. And I think that as that forms and that gains a larger voice, then there's the next generation of how do you take that into government for policy? Uh, because right. policies influence large changes. Right. And you hit the nail on the head with that too, because, you know, I've worked with some larger organizations and when you do go up higher, they're like biologics, you know, especially medications. Why do you need to have somebody helping with that process? You know, can all the staff do it? And, you know, and they don't understand the burden and just the understanding because think of how much turnover offices are having and the access is so much more difficult, not only because you're dealing with the insurance, but you're also dealing with MAs that went to school to learn how to be an MA or some, or nurses, but they didn't go to specifically learn how to get access to these specialty medications. They didn't learn about each drug company and every single process for patient assistance and updates on all the insurance changes and all of that. So who is keeping them educated? You know, who's able to really help them navigate that process So that burden falls on them along with, you know, rooming patients and the documentation and, you know, and that's a whole nother side of things when it comes to access is the documentation side. So, you know, if they can even just focus on one part of it and then having, you know, that support on the other end and saying, okay, we can, we can teach and show you how to get the access. You know, it's just, it's a matter of, like you said, banding together and helping, you know, each other and creating that awareness around the amount of biologics that are coming out and the education that is absolutely needed and all the resources. You know, there's a lot of resources now and there was not before. Mm -hmm. So in the last couple of years, my eyes have been open to so much (laughs) No, there's so much. It's interesting. I had a colleague in the industry who's been in industry forever, has a child. Um, It's a biologic for um, GI, not not derm, but it's the same biologics Mm -hmm. crossover. They reached out to me because of our lightning and said, hey, Julia, um, here's the situation. It's been months that we haven't been able to get 
our child on and we've gotten denials. And I was able to connect him to somebody on my team that we don't really support this brand in the collective, like direct relationship with pharma, but it's on our platform. So one of my team members analyzed everything for them because they're educated in this. And, you know, we gave it back to him and he was able to now get his daughter on the medicine. And it's those things, even when you think, you know, the process and Mm -hmm. how to navigate healthcare and the systems when you're not doing it every day and things are changing so quickly, it's really being able to tap into somebody that is knowledgeable enough that could help navigate it. And I think that it's such a niche or it has been such a niche Mm -hmm. that we're in the first generation of people evolving into leaders there and establishing that education and that network and that like empowering things. And it's really an opportunity Mm -hmm. for people, especially if they have a passion for it to step up and lead and change an industry that I think will be at the forefront of healthcare in the next five to 10 years because Mm -hmm. of what's happening in the industry with the specialty meds. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. So when you originally started RX Lightning, did you just automatically know that you wanted to be in every single specialty or was your primary focus in one specialty first? No, I knew we wanted to be in everything. So we obviously targeted certain disease states with more volume, but the problem when I look at it, Uh, regardless of pharmacy benefit or medical benefit, the patient Mm -hmm. journey is the same for every drug out there. You Mm got to check the insurance and figure out the coverage and what's paid for and what restrictions there are. You got to then once you figure out the the benefit investigation or verification, whatever language you want to call it, you've got to do the PA and the PA process is like, could be a single PA. It could be, if you're lucky, it could be multiple PAs and appeals that you need to navigate through. And then if you successfully navigate through those, the question around affordability happens and it's, Mm -hmm. do I go through a foundation and is the foundation open or do I go to a copay card or a manufacturer free drug program? program and do I even qualify for those? So Mm -hmm. regardless of the medication, those are like the three main, main buckets of challenges. Obviously there's care coordination and training and a bunch of other stuff that you could wrap into to specialty. But when I looked at it, no doctor prescribes the same drug. A lot of these, especially the larger organizations, they're multi-specialty faceted. When you get into some of the rare diseases, it impacts multiple specialties and there needs to Mm be uh, combination treatments for that. So taking that into all of that into consideration, we just wanted to build a platform that created a very simple experience for any of these medications that providers could use. And then as we got more into health systems and larger groups using our technology, it can't just be one disease state because that doesn't benefit them. Right. Yeah. So you have a MBA in healthcare management and marketing. How did that really help you with RX Lightning and everything that you've been doing? I think the direct correlation is probably more the finance degree (laughs) part of those of the MBA being able to semi-navigate a financial PL running a company that's mm-hmm. obviously you need to be able to manage capital. And so I think that's that's one aspect. I think the other aspect of it is just 
there's so much that happens that degree specifically opened around administering um, mm-hmm. healthcare and like facilities and what offices and health systems are kind of navigating and what their goals are. So being able to look at my company and our business model and what makes sense, I think having that formal education and being able to really understand uh, the finances of a provider group and health system provided some like just insights and strategic decisions that we made as an organization. Mm Mm-hmm. Were you always involved in technology or? No, I, uh, I say that one day I luckily stepped in some really good stuff on the ground. (laughs) (laughs) So I started off carrying a bag in pharma and I went inside to do, uh, what was supposed to be digital marketing rotation when e-prescribing and EHRs were like in their infancy and it was Mm. six months. And when I got there, my director looked at me and was like, Julia, you, you're going to figure out how e-prescribing and EHRs are going to impact the pharmaceutical industry and specifically our company. And I was like, what's an EHR? Like, cause I was (laughs) in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, like we didn't have EHRs at the time. And I just fell in love with the opportunity technology could bring to healthcare. Mm. And then I coded our original website. But other than that, and that was off of a template that is basically like, if you know how to copy and paste, you'll be able to build a Mm -hmm. website. But other than that, I can't build anything for the life of me. But I think that the big company through to smaller companies have given me like the formal education and then Mm -hmm. the ability to imagine and push the boundaries of what's possible. I think my mind just works that way. And I've been very fortunate that I've been in the right place at the right time with some cutting edge technologies that I was able to like sink my teeth into that put me in a position to say. Yeah, that's, it's so inspiring. And especially being a woman in business too, you know, that's, it's always exciting to see other women leaders and CEOs and creating things like this. And, you know, you've already won two awards, right? Yeah, but yeah, I don't even know how much there's a lot of words. Or more. <laughs> yeah, I think we're up at like six or seven at this wow. point. It's kind of crazy. I have surrounded myself with some really amazing and brilliant investors and um, team members that, you know, I'm the CEO, so I get a lot of recognition, but there's a lot of a lot behind the scenes that happens mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis that has allowed us to accomplish some of what we're accomplishing. And there's still so much more in this space that we need to achieve to really solve our mission. Right. So what do you see future wise? You know, I feel like there's so much going on with, with AI now, and that's been like a huge thing. Do you ever see incorporating anything like that in the mix? Um, Yeah. So there's definitely AI technologies and like machine learning technologies that you could leverage in and we'll probably monitor it. I think that the one thing, you know, I don't want to do as a founder is over architect and rely too much on technology. Mm -hmm. There is a people part of this process. And I think there's some medications that we could automate and create efficiencies and some workflow challenges we Mm -hmm. could automate and create efficiencies. But when we're really putting ourselves in the patient's shoes and Mm -hmm. it's like, could be life or death, a decision, you don't want to push too hard on the technology and remove the people component of it to Mm -hmm. provide risk into it. So 
my direction is as long as we're building technologies and efficiencies that don't introduce risk for delays, we'll mm-hmm. explore and look at it. But I think it needs to be thought through. And right now you need the technology with the people, right? And the connected people to navigate mm-hmm. it. Technology alone, regardless of if it has AI or not, isn't going to do it. Right. Yeah. I feel like there's so much, and I feel like that can just be so confusing for offices when they're like, oh, now there's a new platform. I'm going to use this. I want to use that one. And they have to have a good understanding of how to get the access. And mm-hmm. they have to know that, okay, you have all these tools, but if you don't know how to utilize them properly, you're still going to miss the mark and your patients are still going to be delayed. So really educating the team and making sure you've got a person in there that knows how to navigate that access. I think that's huge. You know, you can't replace that patient care with any other tools or technology at all. You really just can't, you know, patients want to come in and they want to feel like they're supported. They don't want to feel like everything is just, you know, robotic and, oh, well, you know, we sent the script in, you know, you got to download this app and do everything from here. And that just kind of takes away from patient care. I feel like. Yeah. Technology facilitating connection is important. Technology Mm -hmm. necessarily replacing connection isn't. If you think about the traditional patient, Mm -hmm. they're not an educated consumer of healthcare. They're not an educated consumer of the process. So something that you and I would know what it meant and we could have a digital communication and be fine with, you go to the normal healthcare consumer and patient and provide that to them they're going to have like their eyes turning upside down with questions. Mm -hmm. So if you could provide them something and then a gateway to facilitate easy communication on both ends instead of phone calls, that is where I think the technology goes um, because phone calls are just hard to answer for everybody Mm -hmm. um, from provider's office and a staffing perspective to a patient waiting on holds and So there's better ways to facilitate communication with technology, but not necessarily replace everything from a patient experience perspective. Right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. So, I mean, you've been an advocate, healthcare advocate for a while. How do you educate your team and keep them up to date on, on changes that are always happening? I mean, Yeah, I think that's really a tough question. It's really just tapping into resources out there Mm -hmm. and knowing how to navigate the resources and pulling in as much education as you can up front. And then it's like, what are the repeatable processes to tap into something Mm -hmm. if XYZ occurs? You look at some of the nonprofit organizations out there, like NAMAPA is one. Uh, There's also patient advocacy programs that are more Mm -hmm. geared to certain disease states. Like those organizations, if you're ever at a loss, are ways to go to. So we also organizationally have a team responsible for that component and what's happening and looking at the industry from regulations to policies to then being able to facilitate trainings to ensure that it's it's out there. One of the things our organization is looking at doing moving forward is more master classes. It might not be specific and answer all the details, but general how our technology is used and how mm-hmm. it can be used as opportunities is something that we're looking at trying to make a little bit more broad stream to help with facilitating like educational aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like there's any barriers when it comes to working with offices 
Yeah, I think sometimes it's just the change of something for efficiencies Mm -hmm. because of the burden is difficult to navigate. You know, Mm -hmm. the team that's doing this experience, if they're overworked, they've got too many patients, they don't have a good standardized process and they're chaotic and maybe inefficient, they really don't have time and they feel like they don't have time. So to change process does take time. But if you change the process, then you save the time in the long run. Being able to communicate that and say like, yes, you've done it this way and you've got your process down, but you know, it's not efficient or scalable. Like try this. Mm -hmm. Sometimes overcoming like the opportunity of like trying something else Mm -hmm. um, is a challenge. Yeah. And did that kind of prompt you to want to do some of these new master classes and education within the offices? Yeah, especially because now we've been out in the market for so long and we've got mm-hmm. so much um like we've got case study after case study after case study of the efficiencies that our platform does in multiple mm-hmm. different aspects and you know, it's one thing for me as the CEO and founder of Arx Lightning to tell you how great our platform is and what it could do for you, but hearing right. it from your peers and people that are using it on a day-to-day basis, that is a different type of message on how it's received. Uh, so trying to facilitate some of that peer-to-peer interaction and is important for us to just get more people on the platform for us to help more patients and to help facilitate more healthcare industry change that's really needed. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So does the platform actually do the prior authorizations or does the office still have to do the prior authorization? We don't do the PA. We don't staff people in seats. Um, You know, I think that the tool though could facilitate like the movement of the PA if the office Mm. doesn't want to do it. So because we have all the hub organizations that are there, if the office didn't want to do the prior auth, they could go to the hub and have the hub help them facilitate that as one. They could use our technology to submit the prior auth, or they could go kind of more towards the specialty pharmacy angle. I think, unfortunately, the PA component is still the PA component. Mm -hmm. Our technology platform also is free to offices to use. So there are other organizations that staff people in seats that organizations could license and pay. The way I look at it is from a business perspective, traditionally, they're taking that headcount and charging a multiple on it. From a cost perspective, offices are probably better hiring the staff and just using a technology platform to facilitate it. But some organizations just don't have the management or leadership to go do that. So they outsource it. Right. Okay. Now that makes sense. So as we close out here, do you have any advice for other healthcare advocates or other young people that are learning and trying to help patients and help get access for specialty medications? Yeah, I think I'd summarize it into two pieces. One is network. There is a network of people out there. So LinkedIn networking is great. You know, tap into some of the other organizations that are out there and network at conferences um, uh, or online. So that's one. I think the second one is patient advocacy, I think, is in the infancy. And while you might come in not knowing much about it or feeling like you don't know much about it, if you really have a passion for it and a desire to grow within it, I think the opportunity is very large. So from a potential future career perspective, dive in and educate yourselves and stay up on it because you don't know the next generation leader in this space could not even be in it yet. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Julia. It was so good talking to you. And I really look forward to maybe seeing you at another conference or something. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for what you continue to do on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending a few minutes with me and listening to That's Derm Good. You can expect new episodes of That's Derm Good every other week. The podcast is available on your favorite app, including where you're listening right now. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a new episode. Bye.